morning, everybody. I want to say a particular thank you to Melinda and Micah for being obedient when God speaks to you. Um, what we're witnessing within that when they share is out of 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, it says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so what took place is a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. A word of knowledge that Micah sensed specifically that there was those that need to be baptized. People that haven't taken that step in the Lord yet, that specific command, whether it just be uh, as uh, I don't want to, that's generally what it tends to be. I don't want to be dunked. I don't want to be in front of front of people. I don't want to proclaim this is between me and Jesus. But Jesus said, hey, you need to make a public declaration of your faith. And so then a word of wisdom, knowing what's to come, what has passed. And if we are, we would be wise to heed it, be wise to deepen our relationship with the Lord if we want to be strong and endure to the end of the age. And this is meant for the encouragement and the building up of the body. And that's what the work of the Spirit should be. That's what we should feel when the Spirit is alive and moving amongst us, is encouragement. Not any weirdness, not any heebie-jeebies, not what's going on here, but encouraged by it as it's handled in good order amongst the body. We're going to get into that a little bit more later. Um, we got a bunch of fun stuff coming up. You might have seen in the announcements. We've got the motorcycle ride. We got the bunco night. We got the women's hike. And those are fun things we can do, and they they can really keep us busy. But we need to keep and hold on to firmly the mindset of the purpose of them, is not just fun stuff for us to do. At every point, the purpose of the things we do as a body that are these kind of extra stuff is to be able to have great opportunities to bring people in, in ways that they wouldn't normally come into a church service. I've talked to a lot of people that have said these words, oh, I'd light on fire if I walked in a church. And it's tongue-in-cheek, but they, they believe it to a degree. They're looking for the lightning bolt. But if you invite them on a bike ride, or you invite them on a hike, or you invite them to a night of bunco, they, they might come. And it might open an opportunity for you to have a, a real deep and meaningful conversation with them, an opportunity to start them on that walk to knowing and following Jesus. And this is why we do these things. This is the f- focus we need to have. We are all about knowing Christ and making him known. Amen. If we focus too much on just the community and the building up, which is good, but if we get, let that become all of it, then we lose the outward focus we have. So just an encouragement in that. If you want to participate in one of those things, please be thinking of someone that you could bring in that doesn't know Christ or needs a home, needs a community to be in. Okay, looking at this week, we're going to talk a little bit about last week. Steve and Terry came in. It was wonderful. It was encouraging. Steve focused in on following God's pattern. That if we do things God's way, if we follow his pattern, we're going to see his glory come. And the overall emphasis of that is that we need to be following God and nobody else. We need to not be following our parents. We need to not be following ourselves. We need to not be following our family. We need to not be following the world. We need to be following after God. Now, there are certain points in our life when we are aligned and we are under authority of others. You are under authority of your parents until you go out and establish on your own. You are under authority of your workplace. You are under certain authorities, but your heart needs to be after God's purpose in your life. Ultimately, when you die and you go to heaven or you're swept up in the clouds and meet him in the air, you answer to him and him alone. You're not going to have it well... I answered to dad, and dad said, God's going to say, I made your dad just like I made you. You all answer to me. 
So ultimately, the purpose is that we need to follow the Lord and the Lord alone. He talked about staying steady, staying simple, staying servant-hearted. We need to keep on course. God has set you down a path. Which path that is, keep on it until he tells you to make a, make a change. And we must keep in mind, when God tells us to make a change, it's usually not sharp turns. Sharp turns lead to crashes, lead to capsizing. It's going to be a gradual adjustment to your life so you can keep on and keep the course. And keep it simple, because if you are so busy and so overcomplicated and so difficult to untwine from your normal routine, how will you ever respond when God says it is time to make a change? We have to keep things simple. And then servant-hearted is that when we are following after God and we're getting to purposes and we're working to our giftings, and it can be very tempting to start making that about me and how great I'm doing within this and how blessed others by me. So we need to maintain that servant's heart, that humility, that all of this comes from the Lord. I have to remind myself that week by week by week, I do this by the Lord's power alone. We get into danger when we start thinking how great I am. And God has made you all pretty amazing people. But God did that. And we need to hold that mentality. He talked about the traditions of man versus the word of God and how we can really start to elevate those traditions above the word of God. Elevate our preference to such a point that I can't go to this church because they changed the color of blue chairs to red. And I mean, that just really grinds my gears. <laughs> they decided we are no longer going to meet at 9 a.m. But 10. I can't do that. Mm-mm. We can't set our preferences above the things that God is doing. Now, within all of that, we don't just lay down preferences because someone else is being heavy-handed either. We want to make sure the things we do are good order, and there are reasons for each and everything we do. If we can turn back to Scripture for it, we will. If it's outside of that, we're going to think through a healthy process of why we're going to do each and everything. But we need to make sure we don't elevate that above the Word of God. And then he got into some real specific patterns of the church, church governance, the order of things. He talked about elders. He talked about deacons. He talked about saints. And within that, the priesthood of all believers. And the real strong emphasis of the priesthood of all believers is that each and every one of us is to do the work of the Lord. It's not clergy, 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 and laity. It's not the professionals, the trained ones. No, all of us are to be trained. All of us are, going to be, are to be sharing the word of God and advancing his kingdom. Each and every one of you is called. We are told that we are a, a holy nation, a priesthood, each and every one of us. And we need to take that seriously. We need, to take, we need to not say, well, maybe someday. No, today is the day. God has called you. What is that call? And are you walking into it? He talked about families on the healthy model that God designed for uh, children to grow up well, to husbands and wives to work to, well together, his design, his purpose, how that works. And when we veer from that, why it doesn't work. He has a healthy pattern. He talked about our connection to the translocal ministry team, to the apostolic, to actually being connected to other people around the world, other churches, to encourage, to build up, to hold us accountable to make sure we don't get insular and we start thinking how great and amazing we are here. Aren't we so great? We're pretty great. And then we let that become the banner cry. And you know what? 
God's using this church and we've got a plan and we're going to reach the world and if everyone else would just get on our plan, then God's kingdom could come and there are churches that have done this thing. And they say that by 2022, it's 2022 now, we'll have reached the whole earth with our plan. If you just get on our plan. And I would encourage us to make sure we stay on God's plan. God's plans, God's purposes, his pattern for our lives. And to not get to this unhealthy point where we think we really are God's gift to the world, this church and none other. And if they would just look to us, we could usher in a new era. That's a dangerous spot to be. It's not humble. And God is always calling for humility because God says, I would like to exalt you and for you to humble yourself. But if you exalt yourself, I will humble you. And that's just a healthy reality we have to face. Now, the last thing Steve talked about was the pattern of following the Holy Spirit. And I thought about this, and it's such an important topic to look at. And it was really one of the things that Steve was really passionate about. He would have 10-part series on the Holy Spirit. And he never considered himself the Holy Spirit guy. He considered his predecessor, Jesse Mason, who was down in Southern California. He's Mr. Holy Spirit. Not, not Steve, but to all of us who have been here for 20 years, it was Steve. He, just, he had such passion for that topic. And I realized as I was looking at this, I don't, I don't discount the Holy Spirit, but I don't have that same passion Steve had. I don't talk about things in detail as much. I actually looked at it. I hadn't had any concentrated conversation on this since last December, the week after Steve came. (laughs) And he talked about the Holy Spirit. And so that conversation we had last December was more answering the questions, who, what, where, when, why, having to do with the Holy Spirit. So if you really are looking for some more in-depth, real informational teaching on the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that one, because today I'm going to focus on a certain attribute. I'm going to be focusing on the power of the Spirit of the Lord and how that collides with our lives here. And that's, that might give some people a little bit of an uneasy feeling, because in some contexts that people have grown up in, the Holy Spirit's not even mentioned other than in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and that's it. But the gifts of the Spirit aren't talked about working within the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to lead your life, that's, that, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. And so they don't talk about it at all. And so within that, I want to make sure we are in a healthy spot to be following what God says, because you are all meant to be led by the Spirit. So what does that look like? How do we dress this in a healthy way? How do we make this go from to working in this appropriately? Because the far end of this is something wildly out of order, like the Corinthian church was. I've heard people tell tales of these churches where everyone's getting up during the service, and they're all shouting, and they're all screaming, and they're all proclaiming, and it's wildly out of order. That's also inappropriate on the other side. Neglect is inappropriate, and mishandling is inappropriate. We need to be in the healthy spot in the middle that God has called us to be in. So I want to help us get to that spot. So the verse that Steve talked about last week was 2 Timothy 1. It says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 
So the means is the Holy Spirit. You're doing all of this by the Holy Spirit to guard the good deposit. That is the good news of salvation. There's the doctrines that are set forth in the scriptures. It's the good deposit that's been given to each and every one of you since you've heard the good news, since you've accepted Christ, since you've begun learning and walking with him. This is the good deposit, and it has to be guarded. Otherwise, we wander. We lose our course. We lose our focus. We start prioritizing what we want over what God's want. It must be guarded. And how do you do this? By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. That's a weird idea. I'm just going to call a spade a spade. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will clothe you in power. The Holy Spirit will dwell within you. That's a weird idea. And people have a hard time with it. Admittedly so. Because we're talking about the spiritual colliding with the physical. It's these ideas that cause people to deny God because they don't know how to handle it. And I can, I can understand the agnostic, a person who's questioning whether or not there is a God. They just don't know. I can't touch, I can't taste, I can't feel, I just don't know. I cannot understand the atheist who has claimed, you know, there is no God. I am so smart and so wise and so capable that I have all knowledge of all things and can say with absolute certainty that there's not any possibility of God. That is the ultimate in hubris of me, to me, to be able to make such a claim that you can deny there anything being beyond yourself. Someone asking good, honest questions, someone being unsure, I can identify with that. I was in that spot. I can relate to it, but to say absolutely no, I am the ultimate in knowledge in this universe. It's hubris, and it's a dangerous spot to be, and we need to be praying for those people, praying for God to soften their hearts and draw them to him, just like every other person on this world, no matter how frustrating they might be to us or how against us they might become. But it is a challenging thing. Even for believers, it's a challenging thing to talk about the spiritual colliding with the physical, because how do you talk about, deal with, encounter something that you can't physically experience. You physically can't be there right now unless God sweeps you up and takes you. You can go to the far reaches of this universe and you will not find heaven because you are in the physical space. And we're going to be dealing with topics that are supernatural, spiritual in nature. And you're going to have people questioning. They're not going to understand. And so I want to be able to give you a handle on this to help you identify why this is such a challenge. And I, was I would like you to consider for a moment the idea of someone being blind. And most blindness is actually not just all, just the lack of sight. Most blindness is people have obstructions in their eyes. It would be like walking around like this everywhere. And you just can't see the whole world for what it is. Or it's a blurriness to the point that you can't make anything out. But this idea of blindness is if you were born blind and all you would ever have known is darkness. It's not like closing your eyes where the light still passes through. No, absolute darkness, born into blindness. Now, I want you to take for a moment, that's the person you're going to be talking to. And I would like you to explain to them the color red. And how would you do that? You know it's real. It's absolutely true. It's evident. It's before you. There's no questioning of it. It's so clear. It's right there. But how do you explain it to someone that lacks the ability to perceive it on a fundamental level? 
It's not for lack of understanding or trying or working through it. They don't have what is required to see it. That's what we're working with here. We're talking about something that is beyond normal comprehension. It must, you must be given divine understanding to work through this. And I want to make sure that we walk through that today so we can healthily approach this when it collides with our world. What it looks like, how we're to handle it, how we're not to handle it. So first, being filled with the Spirit. Acts 1, 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. Not you might, not if you do enough, you will. And that, for many, will be daunting. But what if I don't want to, Lord? Another perspective on the same scene out of Luke 24. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And that's daunting. It can be daunting. I think about things of power and the first time I experienced them, and it's frightening. Anybody here ever ran a chainsaw? It's a frightening tool. It'll cut your leg right off. And the first time you run one, it's dangerous. It's power. And it can make you fearful. Fearful to the extent of that you're so concerned about it cutting you that you don't actually use it for the purpose it was intended. No, I'm not going to handle that. I'm too frightened of it. And that's happened with a lot of people with this. That's happened with a lot of people with the Holy Spirit. It's too scary for me. There's too much potential for that being mishandled. I, I can't even. And so we've talked our ways around, I don't really need firewood. I'll find some other means of making that work out so I don't have to handle the chainsaw. That was for the apostles and no one else. There we go. I'm afraid I have not found that in Scripture. Quite the opposite, actually. Acts 11, 15 through 17 says, As I began to speak, this being Peter, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? That's a very important question to ask yourself. Who am I to stand in God's way because I'm afraid of it? To stand in the way of others because I'm afraid of it. No, you can't run it either. (laughs) And that has happened in many, many, many churches around our nation, around the world, because they're afraid of it. 
Now God's purposes will still stand. They will still move forward regardless of you, me, anybody. God's purposes will come to pass. Do you want to be able to partner with him in it? Because regardless of how much you get in the way, he'll work around you. Do you want to be with him or do you want to work against him? And with that, we also want to handle this appropriately and good order. Not wild and crazy, but as God has ordained for us to do. In John 14, 15 through 21, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he's speaking to his apostles right now in this particular moment. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while... And the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. At this point, he stops speaking to just the apostles. His language is going to change here. He's talking about the coming of the Spirit. But whoever has my commandments and keeps them, He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Whoever loves me. That's not just one. That's not just for a time. That's anybody that loves the Lord and follows after him. He will manifest himself to them. So, being empowered by the Spirit, what does that look like? How do we approach this in a healthy way? How do we walk others through this that might be struggling? Out of Ephesians 3, 7, it says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. The easiest way, the easiest way, form of his power that we can see and understand is the manifestation of his gifts. Now, there are three different types of gifts that God gives to his people through the power and working of his spirit. The first one I have on your notes, it's from 1 Corinthians 12. These are called his phanerosis gifts. That's just the Greek word used to describe it. The way that made it easiest for me to understand was this is a drop of grace once. It's when you pray for somebody and they're healed. It's when you're given a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. It's a moment. It's just for that time, that place, that purpose. It's not something you have on tap. It's not, I am a word of knowledge giver. And whenever I want one, I get one. It's not, I am a healer, and when I pray, people get healed. It's not God on tap. It's not going into the kitchen and turning on the sink and I get water. That's not what this is. 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. 
to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues. I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. Because that word right there has caused a lot of people to have a lot of problems for a long, long time. Tongues. If we would simply put the word there that works in our modern language, it wouldn't cause all this problem. To another, the interpretation of languages. When the Holy Spirit fell upon them at Pentecost and they all started speaking in tongues in the upper rooms, it was the languages of the people around them and they were understood by the people around them. It was an encouragement to the people around them because they could understand what they were saying. Now imagine this, if you were to go to Macedonia and you were given the gift of tongues, the gift of the language to be able to speak Macedonian, wouldn't that be such an amazing gift? Wouldn't that break down your barriers of communication to spread the word of God further than it could have been prior? Isn't that an amazing gift? And yet we're so fearful of it. It's weird. Because I don't know what they're saying. Go anywhere else in the world, you won't know what they're saying. But they're all speaking in a different tongue than you are. It's a different language. Now, there is a lot of inappropriate ways this has been handled, which has caused that eebie-jeebie feeling. But if we look at it for what it is, it's the ability to discern another language. And when it's for the body, it will be known what is said. It might be one person that knows, but it will be known. There are other passages where Paul talks about the languages of angels. And that is for you. That is for your personal building of and fulfillment. If you have a language of angels amongst the church, someone else will have the interpretation. Otherwise, that's not for the church. We have to know handling in good order. Sometimes it's just for you. Sometimes it's for the building of the body. But it's a wonderful gift. It's a very useful gift to be able to just simply understand what someone else is saying because you weren't born in the same place. And it is something we should desire, not something we should be fearful of, but it, is, it does need to be handled appropriately. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. Not as you will, not as I will, not as anybody else wills, as God wills. And it's always for his glory. Would it not be amazing and great if you could pray and every time someone would be healed? But it's not as you will. It's not as I will. It's as God wills. We have to remember that. You are not the ones with the power. The power is upon you. It's from God. Keep it in good order as he wills. There's two other types of giftings. I did not quote them in here, but I'm going to give you where they're from. The charisma gifts. You can find this in Romans 12. Verses six through eight. These are talking about attributes that you have, amazing giftings that you were born with and you have no idea how you got them because God gave them to you. 
You are remarkably gifted in this. Somehow you just rise above all the others. And if you exercise that gift and you work on it, you will always be better at other people at that. I think about that with the musicians. All the musicians here have been given an amazing gift, an amazing talent. No matter how hard I practice, it will not come out as more than noise. But they present something beautiful because of the gift they've been given. And they've exercised that gift. They have not neglected their gift. It's not always music. Sometimes it's leadership. Sometimes it's faith. Sometimes it's serving. But each of you has an attribute that God has gifted you with. These are the charisma gifts. We can see this very clearly when the tabernacle was made and a man named Bezalel was given the gifts of knowing how to work all stones, all metals, all woodworking, all fabrics. He was able to do all these things because God had gifted him with it. So the tabernacle could be built. And it was just beyond that of normal men. He was gifted in this. And the last gifting is called the Doma gifts. These are actual people and it's a collection of attributes that make them this way. We call it the five-fold ministry. It comes from Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 12. It is the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, and teacher. They are people that are specific giftings to the church for the building up of the body, to train them for the works of service. And they each bring something very critical to the church. The apostle keeps people's minds out. We gotta keep going. There's more people that need to hear about Jesus. And they get you excited about going. They bring you along. They drag you along. Because we got to go. The evangelist brings people in, all sorts of people in. You've met the evangelist. They just can't talk, stop talking to everybody about Jesus. They bring 18 people to church. I met the nicest person at the salon. I learned about them and their family and all their 18 grandchildren, and all of them are going to come to church now. And you, you, you often marvel at these people. How do you do that? They can't help but do that. It's their gift. The prophet is not a fortune teller. The idea of forth telling is not the primary job of the prophet, but that's all we tend to like focus on. A prophet is a truth teller. They hear from the Lord where the church is messing up and they call it out. They can look into your life and tell you, this is what's wrong. All the guys here at the men's breakfast, you got a nail right there. That's the problem. It's not about the nail. Yes, it is. You got to take the nail out. That's the work of the prophet. They might tell you what's to come. If you keep doing this thing you're doing right now, that's going to happen. Just like it happened to them. They do this, they pull this together and go, if you do this, we have wisdom that we could be following, if you would be listening. That's the prophet. The church needs prophets, true prophets, people that are going to hear from the Lord and keep the church on the right track. You have the pastor, you have the teacher who often get mashed together. That is not the same gift. I know that because I have a gift of teaching. I am not very pastoral. I do not have a great huge heart for people. The Lord has had to work that within me. Chuck, on the other hand, has an incredible heart 
for God's entire body and all of his people and bringing them along and loving and caring for them and making sure they have what they need. The good shepherd, when he's described to us, when he makes us lie down by green pastures, if you have to make someone lie down, they didn't want to lie down. (laughs) But it's what was needed. And that's the heart of a pastor to make sure you have what you need to be healthy and well. The teacher takes the truths that are difficult to understand, the things that how on earth would you ever unravel this? And they go, let me see that. Ooh, that's so neat. Look at that. Look what I found. (laughs) And they present it in a way that everyone can take home and apply to their lives. They're all essential to the body of Christ. These are the giftings the Holy Spirit gives to his church. This is being empowered by the Spirit. These are the ones that are much more obvious to see, easier to handle that collision. What's much harder to handle is actually the personal relationship with the Spirit when He starts actually giving you guidance and wisdom because we want to receive it a particular way. Every single one of us wants the audible voice of the Lord. Just give me a sign! As opposed to, and He's saying, listen to my voice back to us. It's listening to God for the guidance he's giving. Out of Acts 10, 19 through 20, it says, and when Peter was pondering the vision, this is when Peter's on the rooftop and he, the sheet unfolds in front of him and he hears, kill, eat Peter. And Peter goes, that's all unclean stuff. I can't eat that. And this happens three times. And he has this vision and he's pondering it. And the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Yes, that's what I want. Direct instructions, specifics. It never says that that was the audible voice of the Lord. Go back and read all the points where you thought were the audible voice of the Lord. Go back and read when Samuel heard the first time the voice of God when he was in the tabernacle, when they'd set it up, and he is in the holy place And the Lord called out to him, and he kept on getting up, and he went to Eli. He says, I'm here. You called me. Eli never once heard it, and he was right there. It's a specific voice to you. When Samuel is praying for all the people, when the Philistines are attacking them, he's surrounded by people, and he's praying to God, and God speaks to him. Does anyone else hear it? No. God is speaking to you in spirit. Are you listening to him. It might be for things that you just don't want to hear about. It might be, don't take that job. It might be, don't marry that person. That's a hard one to hear. That's an important one to hear. It could be, turn left here but I'm going that way. And you turn left and the whole family goes, hey, we're going that way, where are you going? And then you have to contend against that. You might never know why God said turn left here. I'm pointing to my right. (laughs) (laughs) It's your left. (laughs) You might never know why. That's probably a good thing. There could have been someone that was going to veer into you up the road. There might have been miles of traffic. Maybe there's just something you needed to see along the way or a conversation that's had because of something you passed. 
But are we listening when God prompts? The one that almost nobody wants to listen to has to do with when you're moving, whether you want to move or you don't. I want to move to Tennessee. And God says no, and you go, I, mm, I thought you said no, but I'm pretty sure it was yes. <laughs> or when God says, you need to move to Tennessee, you go, I don't want to go to Tennessee, Lord. I like it here. Are you going to move when God says to move? Are we listening? It could be for serving or helping somebody. When you see your neighbor chopping wood and God says, go help him out. When you see someone on the side of the road begging for money, and if you're anything like me and you look at them and you go, you have clean clothes and you are showered and shaven. You have a place to stay. You could get a job. I don't want to give you any of my money. As opposed to this person who you, you watched wake up from under the bushes and crawl out of the tent and they're looking for some help in their life. My heart goes out to one, but not the other. But every now and then God says, give him five bucks. I, I immediately have the, that's my five dollars, Lord. Are you listening? You don't know the purpose of doing that or why or what God's going to do with them. He's simply telling us to be obedient and listen. He's going to walk with you. It's going to be truth when you need it. John 14, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, two things are happening here. Either he's going to teach you something or he's going to bring to remembrance. Remembrance is so much easier than being taught a lesson by God. And those of you that know, no. You can tell me the entire story, a specific account of the lesson you had to learn because the Lord had to bring you along within it. I would encourage you to seek wisdom like its treasure. That's the entire book of Proverbs. That's what's being spoken of here. If God has to humble you, you will feel it. If he has to teach you the lesson, you will never forget it. Seek wisdom like its treasure, so all he has to do is bring it to remembrance. Luke 12, 11 through 12, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I lean so heavily on that, on just trying to hear what God is saying for this moment, for this day, for this people. For this conversation, God, what do you want to say so it's not me, so I don't screw this up? Because what happens when it is serious, when you are brought before a court, when you are ca called to stand for your faith, are you going to be practiced in being attentive to what God says? So what comes out of you is the Lord at that point and not just more of you or me. We have to be practiced in it. And you might be thinking, yes, I want it, but I have no idea how. I would love to hear clearly from God, but I just never have. I would encourage you in this. You're going to have to become more self-aware. And you're going to have to slow down. Most of us are moving too quickly through our lives to pause and consider, was that you, Lord? 
was that you that just gave me that prompting? In this moment, as I'm having this conversation with this person, when I saw that twitch or that move or this, and you had a moment of something's not right. Are you moving slow enough to hear what he's saying? Or are you so caught up in the busyness and doing that it's all just a muffled blur of things? You have to make a practice of distinguishing his voice from all the others around us. And there are different habits that work for different people. I, I take the mindset while I'm driving, minimize the distractions, and every time I get a green light, I say, thank you, Lord. As a reminder that he does small things, it's the little moments in your life that are your life. It's not all about the big moments and the big events. It's every little one that makes up your life. And God's in each and every one of those. And he will speak to us if we're listening. And then there's being led in the spirit into who you are becoming. It's not so much about what you do or the actions or the things that are happening to you, but who you are or who you will be. Out of Galatians 5, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Because life's fair like that. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now please, like many people, do not gloss over the next verse. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think we just gloss right by that. Just go, eh that's a hard thing to accept. But we have to consider when we make practice of these things and yet we know the truth, how are we dealing with the Lord? When we look at the law and the heart of what it's teaching, the entirety of the law, all the sacrifices, all those things, all the ways to find atonement was for those that unintentionally did something. You know, human beings the imperfect people we are, knowing we'll make mistakes, knowing we'll mess up, knowing that things won't always go the way we intended. We're going to say stupid stuff or we're going to do stupid things. And God's made a way. Jesus died for you and made a way. He made the final sacrifice so that you could continue returning to him day after day. Lord, I screwed up and he still has forgiveness evermore for you. But when we read through the law, and it says those that deal with the Lord with a high hand, that's contemptuously saying, God, I know the truth, but I don't care. God always had capital punishment for that offense. If you make a practice of doing these things in life, make a practice. You're planning on doing it and you don't feel any remorse for it, I'm going to do it anyways, regardless of whether I know the truth. That's dealing with a high hand. Are you following God? Have you submitted to the Lord? We must take that seriously. Not you won't screw up. Not you won't have a difficult time. Not things won't, your life isn't going to be perfect. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Life has its challenges. 
and we trip and we fall and God is there to catch you. It's do you walk purposefully in the sin? Loving it, embracing it, and denying God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are parts of who you become. They're not things you do, but each and every one will affect what you do. If you are a loving person, you will be, you'll behave far differently than someone who's full of hate. If you're gentle, far differently than someone who's rough. They're a part of who you're becoming, who God is transforming you to be. And are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work these things into your life? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. It's going to be something that happens day by day, little by little, until you meet the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Will we allow God to shape us day by day more into the likeness of Christ? Will we allow the Spirit to empower us to walk victoriously in this life with Him?